This is Phantom Dark Dave, sci-fi horror extraordinaire, at least I think so, and you're listening to one of my favorite shows, Dead Hand Radio. Phantom Dark Dave, welcome to Dead Hand Radio, my man. Thanks for joining me. Andrew, thanks for bringing me back, man. How you doing? Always good to have you. And I've been looking forward to reuniting with you for another episode. So what have you been up to? I know you started a couple new podcasts. And uh, what, what have you been up to personally, podcastingly, and otherwise? Man, so personally, a lot has changed since I've been on your show. I kind of met the girl of my dreams, which is, I'm sure any family man knows, can turn your whole life around. And lucky for me, it was in the positive way. And I stay busy podcasting. I'm also a dad, but now, you know, I'm a ladies man. I got my girl. And it's been a journey of me showing her all these movies that she's never seen. So I'm rewatching all my favorites. And it's been a lot of fun. But that busyness, kept me from uh, jumping on the show last time I was really I was really down that I missed out on the October horror marathon that you had and then as soon as I heard that you were going to do a sci-fi I was like nothing's getting in the way this time and I had to jump on here man I'm really excited too because like I told you behind the scenes this wouldn't have been me 15 years ago I've always been just like a horror guy only and then I was introduced into the world of science fiction by the crossover between horror and sci-fi. And so now I've been kicking back watching all these sci-fi movies, man. And now I want to talk about them with you. Well, cool. Let's talk about that journey because the, uh, you know, the origins of where you got interested in science fiction is something that's interesting to me. Um, I have my own roots in science fiction going way back to when I was a little kid, but for somebody in their, um, in their later year, I mean, you're not old, but, you know, later on in life to figure out that science fiction is a cool thing. What was that like for you to discover science fiction for the first time as an adult? It's such a cool thing because I remember growing up just thinking so many things about sci-fi were cool, but also just kind of geeky. But as I grew up to become an even bigger nerd, it really made sense that I would like this kind of stuff. But I found my path through old school monster movies where I would watch horror movies and then I noticed I preferred the classic monster movies similar to some that we've covered and that I do on my show and that got me into looking at classic sci-fi movies and man I've just fallen in love with the genre and the subgenre of these movies where we have creatures in the worst and best graphics but from the depths of the ocean to beyond the pattern of stars and just seeing these things that I can only imagine what it would have been like being a, a kid, right, in the 50s and go into the theater and seeing movies like The Thing from Another World or Forbidden Planet. And I just absolutely, my mind has been blown, man, that I can watch these a million times and still get the same reaction. Well, good shout for those classics, man. And those really are two of the the greatest sci-fi movies ever made. But uh, there are so many movies out there uh, to pick and choose from, I mean, from, like you said, from the fifties, um, and then through the sixties, I mean, I, I can't even name a decade by decade list of favorites, but talk a little bit more about your, 
your journey into discovering sci-fi? I mean, we can wrap up the journey into sci-fi. It's not as crazy as I wish I could say more along the lines of just being open-minded and, and being willing to try something new and it work out in the best possible way where I have submerged myself in these worlds. Because for a lot of the moviegoers, it's an escape. And what better way of escape is uh, either a period piece or a sci-fi world, literally where you're being transported to another planet or being invaded by another planet. And I found myself really loving both sides of that, where we have the movies where, you know, we're the world's um, Earth versus the Flying Saucers, you know, Independence Day, where it's coming to us. But then a movie like Forbidden Planet, which is one of the first movies, if not the first movie, where we actually go to them. And man, with that movie being as old as it is, I still am marveled by the the graphics. And the funniest thing I noticed, like right away, was I'm watching it and I'm like five minutes in and I'm like, wow, this let's see here we look at it 1956 and i'm like this is star trek 10 years before star trek was a thing and it looks like in gene ronberry's biography he mentions that this was a heavy influence for it and it's clear as day when you look at the aesthetics of the film true very true now i didn't know that about uh gene ronberry um actually making a note that the movie was influential for him uh but that movie is also so influential among so many science fiction filmmakers. Uh, it's probably one of the most influential science fiction films. And uh, like you said, it goes back to 50, 1956. And you look at the quality of, of that movie. Now, back in those days, we didn't have CGI. We had practical effects. And then we had a rudimentary form of animation. So you really get that cartoony look when the monster appears, uh, but it's still done so well, man. You can, you only have to suspend your disbelief just slightly to be able to really immerse yourself in that film and enjoy that world that these people are on. Yeah. And I love that you said that too, because I found myself when watching it, even for a second going, how did they do that? Like, this is 1956. How did they? And then you think about the way they did the animation. They brought over some of the animators from Disney and it's clear as day, but man, I, I showed Julie the trailer for it. And I'm like, just look at this. And when I'm looking at the spaceship, I think of another movie uh, that the world loves, which is the day the earth stood still just, and this whole thing was filmed in Hollywood. It was fall, It was all filmed inside. And just to know that they just set aside acres of land and they set up these matte paintings and they just really, they put everything out there. Like they took a risk to create a world, to trick everybody to believe that we were on Altar 4. And I got to say for the hour and a half, you really do believe it. I've always thought after watching this movie several times, I've always thought that this could be almost a prequel to the Star Wars or to the Star Trek franchise, um, just because it is well, this the sets themselves, where the you know the way the sets are designed, look so similar to the 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 Star Trek sets. You're gonna have to correct me if I say Star Wars because I I'm a <laughs> I'm I'm a Star Wars and Star Trek fan. I don't I'm not one or the other. So they both I, I, begin with star, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. so I'll just say Trek. Okay. There you go. If I if I'm talking about Trek or Star Trek, I'm saying Trek. But uh yeah, the set design for both uh the movie 
um, Forbidden Planet and the Trek whole entire franchise, the, the original TV series. Now, once they got into filmmaking with, with Trek, uh, you know, things changed up uh, significantly because of the advancements in filmmaking technology. Well, and it's funny because when you look at the distribution of this film and everything, it was RKO Radio Pictures, which was one of the big five back in the golden days of cinema. And if I'm not mistaken, I think RKO got bought out by Desilu, which one of their biggest forerunners was Star Trek. Oh, okay. So I think it all makes sense. But even, okay, look at the plot. Okay, it's 23rd century. A starship C-57D reaches a distant planet Altair IV to determine the fate of an Earth expedition sent there 20 years earlier. You take the main character in this, played by Leslie Nielsen in like one of the only non-comedy roles ever, and you could easily put Captain Kirk in his shoes, and this is a Star Trek plot. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, when you mentioned Leslie Nielsen, I was blown away that, you know, because all I've ever known him from was like the airplane franchise and the, the naked gun, the naked gun. Right. Yeah. I was thinking smoking gun, but <laughs> different. <laughs> no, all, all those are comedies. And that's what, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s, I saw him in roles like that comedy roles um, and then seeing him at, at a later you know, after, because uh, I didn't see Forbidden Planet until I was in my, probably in my 30s, which would have been the the mid-90s. Um, I saw him and I just like, whoa, man, that dude's always been a comedian actor or, you know, a comic actor. And here he is in a serious leading man role in an, in an action adventure sci-fi film. And he did a great job. You know, he he nailed it. He did know. And it's funny because you're like, wait, he didn't always have white hair. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's the stud, man. And he's joined by a doctor and then his understudy, right? His right hand man, almost like it's a Kirk, Spock and McCoy thing, because it's the trio of the three guys the whole time. And uh, I'm just watching this movie and I'm like, why isn't this a Star Trek episode? But in my head, it is. And I love that you mentioned a, a prequel to it because they could do that. They soak it. And think about it. We, this movie came out in 56 are you surprised that there hasn't been a made-for-TV direct sequel? And somebody correct me if there has been. I don't think there has, but there definitely hasn't been another remake or something, at least not yet. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, because, well, they did, you know, unofficially, and they dubbed it Star Trek. <laughs> right, there you go. You got yeah. me. Did you know that originally they titled this movie Fatal Planet, which for anybody who hasn't seen it, if you watch it, that's not entirely incorrect, but uh, they changed it to Forbidden Planet because they thought that that would draw in more ticket sales. And I have to agree because something about the mystery of for why is it forbidden, that's going to get people in there. Fatal Planet, you kind of know what you're getting into. True. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the the name is is a great name. Uh, like we said, we, we talked about the, the visuals in the movie. The story of that movie was also intriguing. Um, you know, like you said, it was one of the first times, if not the first time we ever see humans go to a distant planet and uh, interact or engage with alien species. And it didn't go quite so well right there at the beginning, right? Right. Um, because essentially they're trying to see what happened to the survivors, if there was any, and then we, we find out there's one and he's hostile he does it he's almost in a in a threatening way like if you land here i can't be held responsible for what may happen to you and your crew and you're thinking 
what's the problem here? Because they've already checked, like, the planet has oxygen, the gravity level's good, like, it's, it's better than Earth, essentially, is what they're saying. And when they land, they're looking around, and they're like, a guy could get used to this, like, this is great, you know, look at that sky, it's green instead of blue, we got two moons, you know, it's all sand. But uh, as you get into the film, you start to realize there's something not not so subtle going on and as the film progresses and we kind of get into like the second act of the film I gotta say they they take everything a step further and not only did I feel like I was on another planet but you see a lot of movies where they do the camera angle trick where it's like oh you go through this door and then they change sets and they come through another door like this movie nails it where you believe there's a whole nother world even to this world yes and I'm glad you touched on that I didn't want to like do major spoilers, but right. there is an important part of this film uh, related to the alien technology that uh, they discover. And do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because that was one of the most interesting parts of the movie for me. I would love to stay on the spoiler-free uh, aspect of it. So I will just say that it's amazingly explained and demonstrated the the way that um we discover the previous inhabitants so to speak the uh alien technology that's there which is just beyond anybody with an iq of 180 right as mentioned <laughs> and dude i again we're talking about hollywood they have the money to do this but i'm watching it and it it's it's right there with today's standards for me like it does so much without being too cheesy and i absolutely love it yeah yeah i did too and like I said, that was one of the most interesting parts of the movie to me uh, because of the depth of storytelling that they got into. And, um, you know, like you said, we're going to we're going to leave it to people who listen to this podcast to go check that movie out and experience that discovery for yourselves. It's an old movie, but it's an awesome story. Uh, it is. And it's unfortunate they took it off Netflix not too long ago. I remember it was on there. And I wasn't in the mood to watch it just yet. And I go back to watch it again. And I was like, of course it's gone. You know, every time you want to watch something, it gets pulled off no matter what app it is, but they do have a really cool set. I have it out there. I should have brought it in here so you can see it, but it was, um, it's a tin set. I don't know if I show it to you. You open it up. It's got lobby cards. It's got the DVD. It's got the sequel to it. And I do sequel with air quotes because they did the invisible boy, which features the last thing we can talk about this movie. How cool is Robbie the robot? Yes, for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I can't even say how cool he is because uh, it set the bar for robots. And yeah, they've gone away from that clunky, um, you know, and I, I don't know, mechanical looking robotic. Almost that clear as day robot look. Yeah, they've gone away from that. And that to me is kind of sad because I just dig that i i think i would call it the atomic era robot you know because uh, even at the atomic testing museum which is here in las vegas they have a a a full-size replica of that robot you can walk up and touch him take pictures with him uh it's just such a cool concept for a robot and you know like like i said they've gone completely away from that in movies uh since then but that was a Man, good if one. I, if I get to make it over there to uh, to meet up with you sometime, you got to take me there. I have. To oh, yes. Yeah. I want to get a photo with Robbie. That is awesome. Definitely. 
And, uh, you know, if, if you take me or if we go to the Atomic Testing Museum, you might get stuck there for half a day just walking around ogling all the atomic nuclear weapons stuff because that's my that's my thing, man. Yeah, I'll let you be the personal tour guide and you can teach me what all that stuff is. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be off reading uh, in the depths of the archives while I'm letting you go. Go go check out those toys over there, Dave. They, they have some cool toys from the 1950s in there. Oh, yeah. And uh, they, yeah, they actually have <clears throat> this chemistry kit that kids used to get in the mail and it had nuclear material in there. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Crazy <laughs> days, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, oh, so yeah, man, you know, when you do get a chance to get out here, we'll definitely go see that. And there's several museums, tons of hiking spots. Um, you know, if you're into outdoors stuff. It could be. Got to get out of this apartment sometime, <clears throat> you know, especially with our lockdown. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So Forbidden Planet is definitely a must see for anybody who's interested in sci-fi. Uh, I think it's a, a groundbreaking film. It's a watershed film that, you know, if you like sci-fi, that's definitely a must see. Yeah. And it's in color too. Uh, for a lot of people who's like, yeah, it's an old movie. It's in black and white. And this is, this was a big one in color. Like they use cinescope cameras. It's beautiful to watch. Yes, that's true. Anything else about Forbidden Planet that you wanted to say? No, man, except for uh, if people watch it for the first time, they need to hit us up on Twitter. We'll put our stuff out there at the end, but I would love to hear other people's first experiences with the film. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. So Forbidden Planet was a movie that you were only discovered fairly recently. Is that correct? Yeah, man, 2020 this year. Awesome. Yeah, well, <laughs> let's not talk about 2020 because, yeah, that could be a big downer. But we'll we'll go back to um, your the earlier days of your science fiction discovery and talk about some of the first films that you started to watch when you first found out how cool science fiction could be. It was so funny because every time I thought science fiction, the big name was Star Trek and I had never seen Star Trek. Like I've always known Star Trek. I've seen glimpses on TV as a kid in the eighties, but it just, it was like, I'm not going to watch that geeky thing. You know what I mean? And as I've gotten older, you know, I did the horror thing, horror transcended into classic sci-fi thing. And at some point it's like, you got to try other sci-fi. You can't be all monster movies, right? Like it can be nothing against that, but if you do that, you're going to miss out on other things. And so sci-fi TV was the thing that was new to me. Like I didn't grow up watching a lot of sitcoms, right. And TV shows because they take too much time, but sci-fi television has been around forever. You know, we Star Trek, but also there's things like Stargate and Firefly and all these things. And so I can honestly say my gateway drug into sci-fi was Firefly. The movie? Sci-fi Western TV show that was way ahead okay. of its time. TV show. Yeah, wasn't there a, a movie made based there on There is a movie. Okay. It's called Serenity, and it's actually the end cap for the TV show. So if you watch the TV show first, you'll understand much more what the movie's doing. If you watch the movie by itself, it's just a really cool sci-fi movie. Cool. But I I have seen the movie, never saw the TV series. If you liked the movie, you will love the TV series. I can say that. Okay, so um, what was it about the movie or the TV series that captivated you? First and foremost, it's the cast. You you 
when you're making a movie in a TV show, you have to have likable characters or people that are so, how do you say, like you love to hate, right? Like either way, the spectrum, you have to have something you can stand. And first, this is, this is a project from Josh Wheaton, right? The guy knows what he's doing. He's behind Buffy, Angel, uh, Avengers eventually, like all these things. And in the middle, he had done Firefly, right? Firefly, I think it was like early 2000s, like 2002 or something like that. And it stars Nathan Fillion. Like, okay, the guy has charisma out the window. Like, he's great to watch. He's the captain. But it has so many other characters on that ship. And it's an, I love a pilot episode of a TV show because they're usually an hour and a half. So it's essentially like a movie, but it's also like a do or die point for a lot of places. If your pilot episode's not good, people may not stick with you. And I got to say that pilot episode was riveting. It, it was visually stunning. The actors were so lovable. And I just really liked the writing. Like it was funny. It was in tune with my liking, but also it took me for a ride. Okay. And it threw in so many things that you could see that would spawn off for different episodes. Like there's potential for each character to essentially guide their own episode. It was that interesting. And so I remember watching Firefly and then watching Serenity. And I'm, I told my buddy who had lent this to me, I said, okay, what else you got? <laughs> and so he had lent me all 10 seasons of Stargate SG-1. And I blew through that faster than any TV show in the world. And I, I don't know if you're a big Stargate person, but I, again, will say that if you like the movie, you'll love the TV show because they're able to branch off on that and explain so many things with, instead of an hour and a half, you get 10 years. So, yes, I agree. So I can't really talk about Firefly too much uh, from a, a point of experience because I never saw a single episode. I did watch part of the movie, but I've never sat through the entire movie. Um, but you talk about Stargate. I love the original movie with um, James Spader and Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell. Thank you. Uh such a cool movie and it's such a cool concept for humans to be able to travel through the Stargate and go to a different planet. And then they expanded on that with Stargate SG one and they changed up the, <clears throat> they changed up the actors, but they kept the same characters. They did. And I know when I first looked at that, I was like, I hate that they did that. There's no way that I'm going to be able to, believe in them or feel the same way I did and again uh mind blown right what and, and that's and I love Kurt Russell like that dude is one of my favorite actors he's so awesome um he just seems like such a cool guy but what what I'm gonna call him MacGyver what MacGyver was able to do for us just he is so funny again another character that has charisma out the window I loved James Spader as Daniel Jackson, but what Michael Shanks was able to bring to the table as Daniel Jackson, and I love Amanda Tapping, and we have Christopher Judge, just that whole group, and, you know, it's one of the longest-running American sci-fi shows of all time, if I'm not mistaken. Like I said, 10 solid years for one show, including two spinoff shows. It's got to be good. Now, the uh, the spinoff shows, I kind of was at a point where I was losing interest in TV series when they when they did the spinoffs uh so i don't know too much about that but uh the uh the whole concept of the stargate and being able to travel to a different planet with um 
And do, let me see. Didn't they discover multiple through the TV series? They discovered multiple stargates on Earth they, that were able to, to transport them to different places, right? They did, and that's how they were able to differentiate between the movie. Because in the movie, you could go from here to there, but in here, once they realized that this is a spider web, a domino effect that now uh, interplanetary travel is possible, dare I say time travel is possible, parallel universe, all these really extraterrestrial life, all these amazingly cool things that, because that when that show came out, it was originally an HBO show. So they dumped all the money into it to make it as close to the film as possible. When it started to stand on its own two feet, it eventually became a sci-fi TV show. And then it was bonkers from there. And I love it. Yeah, I do too. Uh, so it, let's see. Is there anything out today that is comparable to what Stargate did as far as innovation uh, concept and storytelling well so that's where you that's where you get me like that's where you put the stop sign in front of me because i struggle a lot with keeping up with what's out today because as an individual i think i explained when you brought me on originally i i may spend the rest of my life just trying to catch up with what i've missed because i idolize classic film so much that we talk about these movies in the 90s and 2000s that may be the most modern for me that i'm even up to date with like there are other tv shows that i did love uh, earth final conflict andromeda right um, but man we can't we have to address the, the the elephant in the room and that's this giant tattoo right here and this t-shirt i'm wearing here and, and it's been a journey of how i got to the one thing that i thought i was too too cool to like and that was the thing that was cooler than I was. And that was Star Trek, man. And you want to talk about movies, TV shows, spinoffs of TV shows. What has done it more successful than the Trek? Yeah, good point. Uh, and, <clears throat> you know, we talked about influential works of science fiction. And there is, uh, you know, Forbidden Planet and all the movies from the 50s and 60s are, some of those are very influential. But for television, I think Star Trek uh, is unequaled as far as influential. Yeah. And everybody always puts the big movies together, Star Trek and Star Wars. Right. And it's a person like yourself, like me could easily love both. I would definitely pick Trek over Wars if I had to. Right. Luckily we're in a world, you don't have to do that, but Star Wars for the longest time wasn't affiliated with TV. But now with the way streaming's going and they've started doing their own TV show and they were doing the cartoons um, at least a decade back, right? But it's so crazy the amount of content that's being really just put at our fingertips that anybody who loves sci-fi is never going to get full at this point. But to answer your question there, I, I can find myself consistently motivated by where it's been pioneered and perfected over time. I do still keep up to date with what's going on with Star Trek, but even so, even with the, what, 50 years of Trek that's out there, I'm still back to the original series, The Next Generation, and Deep Space Nine is my personal favorites. So anything from 60s through the 90s, man, it was just awesome. Yeah, and then you talk about, you know, this, the movies. There was, I think, six original movies. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I can't even count four, four additional the, movies after that. 
Oh, well, there was six from the original series, four from Next Generation. So you had like 10 movies through 2002. And then with the J.J. Abrams, they did three more and we have a fourth that's on the way. Wow. And so each one definitely has its own vision and its own flavor, so to speak. Like if people loved the original series, I can probably say 100% they're going to love the six movies. I mean, some people say even sci-fi.com says that Star Trek Wrath of Khan, which is part two, is the second best sci-fi movie ever made. Some people would say it's the best, and some people will say it's perfectly um, sitting at number two because Empire Strikes Back is number one. And that conversation, there's not enough time on your podcast to debate <laughs> either way for that. But man, I just, I love so much what Star Trek does because for me, I think what excites me most is the idea of the space exploration. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, well, I thought you were gonna expand on that, but that's true. The, uh, the idea of humans going out into space, visiting alien planets and, and, and interacting with alien civilizations. Yeah. You know, that, that, that whole concept just so interesting and, and that's what I want for us now, you know? And it's just, a, why do we have to wait like two or three centuries for, for that kind of experience to be able to, you know, to be able to live that? Well, we don't have to because we have imagination and we have science fiction. Right. right? Always the best escape. But man, we're getting closer every day, right? We talk about, we have electric cars now. How soon before we get flying cars? I don't even want to know what traffic is like in the sky. I, have, I do not want to see that day, right? I hope I'm not. But, you know, talking about Star Trek and how it's heavily influenced things in our culture today. I mean, that, that was a big deal for Star Trek um, in the late 60s, like 66 through 69. It was Gene Roddenberry was doing so many things that were political, so many things that were just not okay to do, or at least were unheard of at the time, and did it with so much finesse that it not only has stuck around, but so many other things were mirrored after it. And even looking at that next generation, I mean, dude, they had the iPad before it was cool. They had the comm badges, you know, where we're now, we're literally walking into our house and we're talking essentially to the Star Trek computer, also known as Alexa. We don't say that <laughs> word out loud, but dude, we're, you can go in your house and, and, and not touch anything and have everything really at your disposal. Yeah, good point, man. It's <laughs> <laughs> scary in a way, but also kind of cool. Yeah, even some of the medical uh, treatments that they used, uh, you know, throughout the series was, it seems like we have adopted some of that in uh, today. Laser eye surgery, LASIK. In the exactly. 60s, yeah, people, exactly. I'm going to shoot lasers in your eye. I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could talk about uh, the, uh, you know, how influential the entire Star Trek franchise is. Um, the, so you mentioned the J.J. Abrams um, re reboot, basically a reboot. Yeah. How do you think they did? Better than I could have imagined, honestly. That 2009 film was actually the first Star Trek movie I had seen, like, like sat down and watched all the way through because I was still like not sure, but it was lying around. And so I watched it and it did exactly what I dare I say it was designed to do is I think it pays respect to anybody who's already a Trek fan, but it also, dude, the graphics were so good. The storytelling was so good. There was so much appreciation and love for Star Trek in that movie that a newcomer like myself seeing it craved more. Like it did its job perfectly. And 
the box office proves it. True. Now I have to say, I, um, my, my hat is off to JJ Abrams for taking such a bold approach at doing a reboot because he could have easily created new characters and put them into this, the positions. What he did was he reinvented those characters, but he kept true to the original, what we know and love about those, about each character. And he did that so brilliantly. And those actors nailed it. I mean, every actor in that film just nailed it as far as, uh, um, bringing new life to those characters that we all love yeah it's dangerous territory when it's even talked about you know because those characters to so many people are just iconic like you don't mess with it but you're right and i've went out and talked about this before but those actors not only became those characters but they even became the actors who originally portrayed those characters like when you talk about carl urban like that dude was deforest kelly somehow um, but that's why they're actors. They're able to put themselves in these positions and become somebody else. And it was convincing in every right way. And I got to say, the other thing that was really cool is if you do your research and you read a lot about maybe inspiration for that 2009 reboot, that whole like backstory that we never got was essentially some of the ideas for the 1979 motion picture before it became what we know it is today. Like originally they wanted to do the whole, let's explain, let's make a prequel of how Kirk and Spock met at the Academy and we never got it. And then here it is now, uh, we'll see 79 to be what, 30, 40 years later, 30 at the time, but they finally bring that story to life. And I feel like it was put in the hands of the right person. Oh, absolutely. Uh, now you mentioned the original motion picture. Star Trek, the original motion picture. Isn't that what it's called? The official yeah, yeah, title? Yeah. Uh, unless people hate it, they'll call it the motionless picture, but I don't go by that. No, no, it's a good movie, man. Um, it is not my favorite Star Trek movie, but it is a good movie. And the more I watch it, the more I like it. But you have something a little bit different about to say about that, don't you? I do, man. And uh, I'm going to plug it right here. My... So I, I do a show, right? I don't run a podcast, but I do a show that's called The Podcast from Another World, which I pulled from the 1951 film, The Thing from Another World, because I love it. But a big part of me is Star Trek, and my favorite Star Trek film is the 1979 motion picture. And I got to say, that's from our mutual homie, Evan, who everybody knows as the Wastelander, man. He's at From the Waste. I remember watching that film back when I discovered sci-fi, and I didn't have the development of the characters. And so I had a hard time really getting into what it was. And that movie is like almost way too sci-fi for its own good. And if you're wanting to watch that kind of movie, it is one of the best for you. I put it up there with 2001 Space Odyssey on that level of a sci-fi movie. But that's exactly um, what it is, Andrew. To me, that is an amazing, just standalone sci-fi film. It is, it's long. It's not 2001 long, but it's still long, but it takes the roots of the 60s TV show. It brings everybody back, which was so cool. It brings everybody back. It brings in a lot of the people who had worked on 2001 special effects. 
creates a new ship, creates this new alien entity that they're dealing with. And it didn't hit me on the first one, but dude, on the second, third, and all the subsequent watches, I just, it's one of those movies that if it's on, I'm going to watch it no matter what point it is, because I can find something to love in each act of that film. And I get lost in it because it takes you places in your mind and through your eye sockets, right? You will, you feel like you were watching this LSD trip of a film, but then you get to sprinkle on the love of the Kirk and Spock and Bones and Uhura and Takei and all these cool things. So much so that that's my Christmas episode this year on my podcast is I'm bringing on Evan because he's the one that really pushed it on me years ago. And I'm so happy he did. He and I are going to run through it. I don't know how much of a deep dive or of a general conversation it is, but we're going to open up our hearts and pay our love and respect to that 1979 film. There are a couple uh, sci-fi uh, series and movies that I would like to recommend for you to try to include in your journey going forward. Okay. Now, first of all, Star Trek Discovery. I don't know if you've already seen that one or not, but that one is so cool. Have Have you seen it yet? I've started it. Yeah, I'm actually oh, okay. working through it. And okay. uh, I got to say, so far, I agree with you. It's awesome. Yeah. The, uh, the visual effects, I cannot say enough about that. And like you said, um, it's, it's almost like now you see a one-hour blockbuster movie that's made in Hollywood for the big screen brought to us on, on the, the small screen. You know, on you our TVs. You gotta love CBS, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't even have all access. I just captured, I just caught that one. Uh, it was a, a rerun. And uh, I'm thinking about getting the all access just so I can watch that series. Cause it's on. Well, yeah. Cause they, you also get Picard now on all access and then lower decks. So there's tons of Trek out there, but even if you're not a person who, and if CBS hears me tell people not to get the app, I am sorry. I would never tell people that, but if that's just not you, man, this stuff comes out on DVD. You can buy the seasons. So on Amazon prime, uh, you definitely want to check out the expanse. Have you seen okay. that? I haven't seen it, but I am aware of it. Yeah, that's a that's a good series. I think they just last month released the trailer for season five. Is that one of the shows that operates on a 12, 13 episode or more like a 20 episode season? I think they're more around the the like the 12, 13 okay. episodes per season. That makes it a little easier. <laughs> Definitely. But when I asked you... Um, earlier uh, when we were talking about stargate sg1 if there's any um contemporaries if there's any tv series that are contemporaneous with stargate and this one is okay from if you took sg1 and put it into space okay it's they start out in space mm -hmm. that's what this is Oh, man. okay if it if it can be in the same building as stargate i'll at least give it a shot yeah and the cool thing is they start out in space so it's just freaking cool now i don't know if that's too much of a spoiler maybe i shouldn't have said that but definitely definitely check that that uh series yeah, i got out. amazon prime so no worries yeah what uh what is on your um wish list that you have not seen yet and would like to dude <laughs> with the availability of that's out there of all these TV shows. I am so much in a wormhole pun intended uh, of all these things like 
there's always the rewatch of your favorites, but when you do that, you take up time of new things. So I definitely got to check out the expanse, but man, with the way that these shows are coming out left and right and the big budget stuff, it's just amazing that we could have so much at our fingertips that I'm at a point now where I can only afford to sound like a jerk, but it's like almost like you can only afford the time to watch the pilot episode of every show and then just see the one that really dominates it. And that's the one you stick with. And I just want to throw that back to you because I, I heard what you said earlier, since you like SG one, as much as you do, when you're feeling it, you really need to go through Atlantis. It's only five seasons and yes, they are the 20, 25 episodes. So it's long, but dude, if you just feel that love that SG one does and it gets you Atlantis is awesome from beginning to end. And it's not a show. Unlike the one that came on after, I think it's the universe that show drops off. That show really didn't grasp me, but Atlantis dude, it has a great um, connection to SG one. There are crossovers at certain point where actors uh, get to, played their character from SG-1, even just in one episode here and there, but it has a beginning, a middle, and an appropriate ending. It's a really cool ride. Okay, well, I will take that under advisement. <laughs> Do it. And yeah, for uh, for 100 episodes of a series, that's a lot of watch time. Um, and I do, I do like to watch those things back-to-back as much as possible. And you know, if I start it and I have to pause for a couple months and then come back to it, that kind of that kind of bums me out. It will, uh, and it'll also it'll pull you out of it so much that you won't feel the love to continue it. There could be nothing wrong with the show, but if that's what life does to you, it just happens. Exactly. So sometimes movies are easier. Yeah, movies are easier, <laughs> uh, and that's what I love about movies, man. You get two hours, usually two hours, but you get, you know, you just get all the thrills and sometimes the chills and the story and the visual effects. And that's what, that's what I'm really into is the visual effects. I'm such a visual person and a story could be mediocre, but if it's full of visual effects, like one of my, one of my recently favorite movies is Mad Max Fury Road. And that's just because it's such a visually stunning, just absolutely gorgeous film. Can't say enough about that one. Well, some people out there might have heard I was on Evan's podcast and I saw Mad Max for the very first time. And so that's the kind of world you and I are living in. You're loving all these movies and the latest one is visually stunning. And I'm like, how many is there? Oh, yeah, I saw the first one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was a good episode that you and uh, Evan did. Was that on your podcast or on his? That was his. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think he's up to... uh, he's got to be close to 15 episodes now. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. I love it. Evan's the kind of guy. It's like, Hey man, when I'm feeling it, I'll put out an episode. And the best part about it is when he does every episode's great. Yeah. He he is definitely not about the quantity. He will, he will wait for the right guest and he will wait for the right topic. And then when he puts out an episode, it, it really knocks your socks off. Um, so Evan, when's the next episode coming out, brother? That's all I have to say. <laughs> well, hopefully, uh, hopefully I can tie him up with uh, the Star Trek motion picture episode on my show before he gets to that. Cause I don't want to catch it. Cause when that dude dives down to an episode, you can forget about anything else until that episode comes out. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And uh, if I can, man, I want to, I want to give a quick shout out. Cause we, we talk about Evan so much and we love Evan. He's a mutual friend. Uh, we got to give it up to Randy who I know was on your show recently had participated in sci-fi month and Johnny Staggs. I know anybody listening to this has to know Johnny Staggs. You said that I was like a really like Trek guy. Okay. 
I can't hold a candle to the knowledge and love that that guy has. That is my Star Trek crew. We've done Trek talks before. And I just got to say, man, those guys have definitely helped escort my love of science fiction. Yeah. And well, if, I mean, if you want to give a shout out to your former podcast, which has now been picked up by Evan, uh, is the Trek talk. Didn't you guys used to do a, a round table on your previous uh, podcast platform? I did, man. Everybody knows Dave's pop culture podcast, but I did the, uh, the Trek talk and it originally, it was just an idea of, I like Star Trek, but I don't know enough about it to just do a single episode as a solo host. I would love to get friends together who love it. And I had known Randy, Evan, and Johnny individually all through Twitter because of sci-fi, but different reasons. And then when I found out that the common denominator was we all loved Star Trek, all the way from the guy who's been watching it his whole life to the guy who's been watching it almost his whole life to the fact that I'm still the ultimate noob here. I just, I, I wanted to dive in and, and really pick their brains on it and also get their recommendations and hear stories similar to like, you've heard my story of how I was ushered into essentially my love for sci-fi. I was able to do that with them on just Star Trek. And so some of those episodes are kind of hard to get because I did in that podcast a while back. Some of them can be streamed on Spotify, not downloaded, but streamed. But uh, yeah, if you ever see anything Trek talk and it happens to have me, Evan or Randy on there um, and Johnny Staggs, dude, it's a, it's a fun ride. Yeah, I, I agree. The few episodes that I heard of you guys going on um, about Star Trek, it's really cool. It, it is really cool. I mean, it, it like, uh, Ben was uh, the first episode of this right. sci-fi series that I'm doing. Um, and he's the angry dad podcast. If anybody's wondering who that is also a member of the SIP network, um, fellow Wait, podcasters. I he did the F word podcast. Is it angry dad? <laughs> Love you, Ben. Yeah. But he, uh, he mentioned that, um, you know, when you're listening to a good podcast and you get immersed in the, the experience of, of hearing two guys or a couple guys go, get into a deep conversation and you feel like you're right there with them, just listening to what they're having to say. And you're almost talking to, you know, talking to the air, trying to get your word into the conversation. Um, that is a good podcasting experience. And that's what we want to bring. And that's what you and Trek talk and your other podcasts uh, has been able to capture. Uh, and I got to tell you, man, I don't feel like I give you enough credit for you encouraging me and helping me get started in podcasting. I just want to say that right now. And thank you so much for being the first person to invite me to come on a podcast, encouraging me to start podcasting on my own. And then also inviting me to get involved with and become a member of the SIP network. Yeah, man. Um, I felt like a jerk being like, you're welcome. But I, I mean that wholeheartedly, like you are welcome because I feel like at one point that was all of us. And just to know that I was a listener of a podcast and then became a guest and then started a podcast similar as what you did. It's a way I was able to show love for everybody, but like it's passion that drives it, man. And we all have someone in our lives that really helps us 
believe in ourselves and do what we want to do. And whether you're a TV lover, movie lover, book lover, photographer, all these really amazing things. Like when you excel at what you love, your passion shows. And we talk about how great technology is now. I mean, Lord and behold, here we are. Uh, you're in Nevada and I'm in Texas, man. We're doing this episode and we're sharing our love for the sci-fi world. And it's so cool. And I'm I don't own the SIP network. You know, I may have been a, a founding father of SIP network, dude, but it was it was like not a doubt in my mind to to bring you on here just because of the connections we had from day one, talking about anything from um, like world ending to Cold War and everything in between. It was just such a cool and fun time. And I felt that connection as I do with everybody in the SIP network. And so if people listen to your show and my show and they they get that feeling you explained where it's like they're listening to you interview a guest and they become um, submerged, right? I like to say instead of emerged, I like to say submerged in the conversation. That's what the SIP network is for different things. You have paranormal stuff, you have um, you general conversations, your movie run throughs, you have all these things here. And though I'm never one to come out and dump on a movie, I don't like talking bad about a movie. If I don't like a movie, I just don't talk about it type deal. But if I say this is the movie I'm going to cover, you can download an episode and you can put faith in the fact that I'm going to walk through it with you because I love it just as much as you do. And and that's what I really, that's why I jumped on the bandwagon, man, to be a part of Sci-Fi Month here on your podcast is because I don't take many opportunities to do sci-fi movies. And that's a big thing that essentially kickstarted the podcast that I'm doing now called The Podcast of Another World, which in 2021, I'm going to be bringing the love to some science fiction films. Nice. That's good to hear. And with that, why don't you take an opportunity to shout out to your other podcast? Is it do you have two podcasts besides the podcast <laughs> oh, from another the world, world of podcasting, man? Like one is not enough, you know, I'm like the James yeah. Bond of podcast. Oh, sorry, Sean. But um, here it is, man. So everybody heard, you know, you have the terrible terror podcast where I do once to twice a month, my run through of my own show where I either I join Brian or he lets me have some of that bandwidth and I knock out something that's been dwelling on my mind. But outside of that, I've tried, and this is where the separation comes, is where I want to focus more on sci-fi. It's because now I'm a part of a standalone horror podcast with my old buddy, Andy, at Black Cat Shadow. People remember those days. And uh, we do a podcast called The World of Horror Podcast, which I cannot believe that was not already a name of a podcast. Like when we tore the world apart, and realized there was not a world of horror. It's like, boom, we claim it. And so I joined Andy where we monthly, just one once a month, we're going to do a general conversation about Indian all things horror. And it's so much fun. And I, I said this for a long time, that other podcast is coming at some point. Um, people know I love movies and people know I love, you know, horror and sci-fi and classics. Like those are my three guys. I'm also the guy that's obsessed with Christmas. Like my tree's not up right now but it might be by the time this episode comes out, I'm just saying. And uh, because of that, and the woman in my life happens to love Christmas just as much as I do that we are going to launch one of the first ever. I, I've done my research on this. There isn't many podcasts that do this, especially still. And we're going to be a 24 seven Christmas podcast where at least once a month, if you're having the Christmas blues, you can still visit a place to get your fix on there. And it's going to be faith-based. It's going to be clean, uh, just family-friendly love for Christmas movies, Christmas TV shows, and all kinds of things Christmas. So yeah, I kind of sound like a podcasting insane person because there are so many different things that I'm involved on. Um, but it's because I love to preach to my passion. And if anybody loves to hear it, I just like to welcome everybody to be a part of it. 
what is not to love? Okay, you got Phantom Dark Dave <clears throat> covering the world of sci-fi in the podcast from another world. Phantom Dark Dave and Andy Usry covering horror in the world of horror podcast. And then you got Phantom Dark Dave and Julie Dark Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I have to leave yeah. that. She'll love it. Does she, does she have a nickname or she just goes by just Julie or something like that? Yeah. She's Julie. Sometimes I call her Joyful Julie because oh, okay. um, she's always happy and makes me happy. But it's Dave and Julie when we're together. So, all right, cool. And that's it's always Christmas, right? That's right. Right on, man. So there's there's plenty of De- uh, Phantom Dark Dave to, to uh, go around in the podcasting world if you're interested in listening to him. Uh, and I do highly encourage anybody out there to listen to you. Thank you, man. I appreciate everything. I appreciate you bringing me on this show. And I just got to say, I've loved everything you've done so far. I do think you're crazy to put out as many episodes in a short amount of time as you have. Um, I used to be that guy and you tripled what I did. So my hat's off to you, but keep doing what you do because you're doing a great job. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Now, why don't you let people know, I mean, if anybody listening to this is not familiar with who you are and how to get in contact with you, uh, let them know. If you love horror, sci-fi, classic movies, and Christmas, and you want to keep that conversation going, just find me on Twitter. That's the best place you're going to get me. It's at Dave underscore Phantom, because my alias for the last six years has been Phantom Dark Dave. So if you find me on Twitter, hey, keep it cool, then I will talk with you. I love talking about these things here. But if you want to download, everything's available on all the major platforms, same as your show here. Uh, you can also find me on the SIP network, that's S-I-P, because we're the slightly irregular podcast. That's what we do, network. Um, you can find me on there. And um, it's just a lot of fun, man. And I appreciate you having me on here. And if somebody wants to hit me up, let's do it cool so all right dave with that i i'm gonna let you go i appreciate you coming on and doing this sci-fi special for november and you know as always you're welcome to come back anytime in the future cool man i'll hit you up later all right take care bye bye